you Gamecocks out there. It's the final word. J.C. Sherbert here with you. Inside the Gamecocks podcast, South Carolina playing Appalachian State this weekend. Uh, Williams-Brice Stadium, 7 p.m. kickoff ESPN2, nationally televised game. I think that's the first time the Gamecocks have been on the deuce, as they call it, or used to call it, this year. And uh, App State's pretty good. So this is going to be a big non-conference game for South Carolina. Uh, coming into the game four and five, uh, I think you have to win this one to sort of have some light at the end of the tunnel, so to speak. Uh, beat these guys. That's two games in a row you've won, and then you just go take your chances at Texas A&M against Clemson to try to get to a bowl game this year. It's been a disappointing season for the Gamecocks, but um, as I always say, you can uh, you can kind of turn things around. Things turn around quickly. Uh, And if you look at it, you know, this is a key to that possibly happening. You know, I don't think a win over App State is going to save the season. Uh, It's one of those games that you probably, you know, I guess the prevailing opinion in college athletics sometimes is you don't schedule this game. Um, I especially don't think you schedule this game when you play North Carolina on a neutral field and you got Clemson and Alabama rotates on the schedule in the SEC. But, you know, I don't know who scheduled it. Um, Will Muschamp said earlier this week that it was done before he got there. I saw a release for announcing this three-game series, which includes a trip to Boone, which is also baffling. More on that in a minute. Um, That was 2018. So I don't know if maybe it was in the works before Muschamp got there. Um But I don't know, you know, I mean, whoever looked at this, I mean, you know, even if you did it 10 years ago, App State was pretty good. Now, I don't know that you can control that Bama, or you knew back then before expansion, Bama was going to rotate on, but um, I don't know, you know, this is just not something I would have scheduled. Uh, I do think, and I'm coming around to this, if, if the administration uh, and the football staff, you know, because they kind of all work together on this. If they're not going to schedule some home and homes against Power Five teams, you know, maybe take a chance and you know schedule somebody from the Pac-12 or Big 12 sometime or something like that, like a lot of schools are doing now. You know, if they're going to stick to the formula of you know we're going to play teams from the Carolinas and we're going to play hopefully three cupcakes and Clemson a year with the occasional neutral site game in Charlotte or wherever, and I know they're trying to get in the game in Atlanta. I, uh, you know, uh, if they're going to stick to that, I don't know that road trips to East Carolina and App State are bad things anymore. I I used to be against it. I was kind of surprised the Gamecocks shocked even. The Gamecocks were going to play at UCF a few years ago uh, in 2013, and that ended up being kind of strange because – you know, yeah, you got a trip to Orlando in the middle of the season, and then the Gamecocks ended up going to the Citrus Bowl, and so it ended up two trips to Orlando, and the Gamecocks showed out uh, big time in both of those stadiums with big road crowds. But last year, when I watched the the Ole Miss game in Oxford, and I just saw that because of the way the schedule snakes in the SEC, and you don't get to visit some of these venues for like ten years. You know, that was two 500 football teams going at it in Oxford, and South Carolina brought five, 6,000 fans out there. Big, big crowd in Oxford. And uh, so I think that, you know, having these road trips, even if it's just up to Boone, which I don't know where they're going to put everybody, and hopefully they have another expansion between now and 2025, because that stadium, Kid Brewer, seats 30,000 people. <laughs> it's probably one of the smaller stadiums South Carolina will play in. Um, you know, you're going to go up to East Carolina, like I think 2021, the Gamecocks go to Greenville. Uh, that's fine, you know, because, look, if you're not going to go schedule some good road trips and things like that and the SEC is going to continue to, you know, just kind of have same old, same old, and you, you don't really get a new road trip but every couple of years, um, road trips are fun. And uh, so I've kind of come around uh, in terms of the thinking on that, I, you know, my theory is normally an SEC team, if you're serious, you know, you don't go play road games against, you know, non-Power 5 opponents. Um, and preferably if you, you know, you if you do a neutral site game or something like, like Mississippi State played Louisiana Lafayette in New Orleans 
to open the season at the Superdome. I think something like that's fine. You know, you get into a new venue, something like that. But uh, I, uh, I don't know. I used to really think that. Now I'm kind of, you know, hey, well, if you're not going to go, you know, not beef up the schedule, but make the schedule a little more interesting. Then, uh, hey, road trips to Boone and Greenville are what it is, and maybe you get one to Winston-Salem on the schedule soon. Not this year, hopefully. <laughs> uh, just kidding about that. Wake Forest is really good. Um, Duke, whoever, you know, if, that, if that's as far as you're going to go, then uh, why not? You know, personally, I think the Gamecocks should – I think I should schedule Maryland, to be honest, and maybe try to get them to move one of the games – to the Redskin Stadium or something. I don't know. There's a lot you can do with the schedule that the Gamecocks just, you know, haven't been doing relative to their peers. But that's a debate for another matter, another time. We're talking about this year's team and uh, this year's prospects. And really, you know, you can't just hide from the talk, you know, the, the, the future of the Will Muschamp era. Uh, I, I don't know that – you could say that when you consider all the scenarios of the season that, you know, this staff is out of the woods. Um, you know, the Vandy win obviously was huge. You know, you don't want to lose to Vandy on your home field. Vandy was down to their third-string quarterback. They're still not a very good football team. I don't know how Missouri lost to them, but they did. And Vandy straight, straight up beat them. It wasn't a fluke. Uh, Missouri's sort of gone south, though, and they got to play Georgia this weekend. But – you know, you lose to Vandy, I think things get really ugly. You know, so now you got App State. Uh, App State's better than Vanderbilt. I'll tell you that right now. They'd probably beat Vanderbilt by 10 points on a neutral, neutral field. Um, that would be how I would predict it. So you got App State. It's a game that, you know, uh, people have sort of been worried about since it was scheduled. Uh, it's a night game at williams Bryce. Supposed to be a little cool, you know, so bundle up. Um, and App State sold all their tickets, so it, it should be a heck of an atmosphere. Sometimes you get a big road crowd in there, and I remember when East Carolina came to South Carolina in the 80s, um, and they took an early lead, and their fans were going crazy. I think the Gamecocks ended up winning comfortably 47-14. This was during the Sparky Woods era. And I remember my dad looking at me and going, that's a hellacious little school right there, East Carolina. But because their fans were kind of into it, Gamecock fans kind of rallied and got fired up, and it was a big crowd, and it affected the game. Gamecocks came back to win. I think they were down 14-3 to and won 47-14, if I'm not mistaken. So, you know, sometimes things like that can make a game that maybe not a lot of people are super fired up for, uh, fired up for. But App State's been good enough for – a long enough time in the Carolinas, you know, they won national championships, I think, oh, 05 to 07 under Jerry Moore. And, you know, they made the transition to the Sun Belt, and they've been a really good team since. They scared the bejesus out of Penn State last year. They beat North Carolina in Chapel Hill earlier this year. You know, I think people know that this is not a cupcake. Uh, at the same time, you know, South Carolina's in the Southeastern Conference, they are a team that has aspirations to win divisions, go to Atlanta. Uh, they spend money on football. They care about football. They have good players. They're in the fourth year of a coaching staff. That's $2 million coordinators and a coach that makes $5 million a year. Go win the game. I mean, go win the game. App State comes to town. They have a lot of South Carolina players on their roster. Uh, I mentioned that in the final word article on thebigspur.com. You can go read that. Uh, Malik Williams from Chester was a player I really, really liked. Um, DeMarco Jackson out of Spartanburg uh, is a backup linebacker for them. I think the fourth leading tackler on the team. Really like him. Uh, they have some offensive linemen from the state of South Carolina that are good. Noah Hannon uh, comes to mind. They're tight ends from Boiling Springs. Uh, you know, th- they're going to come to town wanting to beat the Gamecocks. You know, it's been 31 years since Appalachia State has gotten a shot at South Carolina. Um, and, you know, you, you look at their staff. You know, Charlie Harbison's a guy with ties to the state, used to coach at Clemson, was rumored a lot to be coming to South Carolina to coach. Cheese Harbison uh, also coached at Alabama. Justin Watts, who is there, uh, one of their assistants, obviously played at Clemson, uh, was an assistant under Rick Stockstill at Middle Tennessee State. You have Pat Washington, who was on the Gamecock staff last year, who's uh, – 
you know, obviously, you know, went up to App State and was coaching for Eli Drinkwitz. You know, Drinkwitz coached against the Gamecocks uh, at NC State in 2017 in the opener and was also a guy that was in the mix to be the offensive coordinator at South Carolina when um, the Gamecocks ended up going with Brian McClendon. Then a year later, Drinkwitz got the app job. Now, I'll say this about that. The, the drawback to hiring Drinkwitz, and I was told this by a lot of people, at the time was he wanted a head coaching job and was going to go get one soon. So, you know, I can't see – I couldn't have seen him not going to App State. App State's a hell of a job. Uh, I couldn't have seen him not going there from South Carolina after a year. So he probably wouldn't have been the OC at South Carolina uh, for more than a year. But still, you know, he's a heck of a play caller. He's from the Gus Malzahn coaching tree. Um, And a really good young coach, you know. I think give it two or three, four more years, you're going to see this guy sort of – move on up I guess yes a lot of connections a lot of ties Uh, I know the app folks are ecstatic about playing this game Uh, I think South Carolina you know obviously Appalachian State has their attention you know so we'll see what happens you know but as far as being at the crossroads go you know you're four and five you win this you got to go to Texas A&M for a night game you know the next week and look I I understand Texas A&M has beaten South Carolina five times since they've been in the you know been conference opponents, starting with that very significant Thursday night opener in 2014, where they came to town and just you know beat the crap out of the Gamecocks. Um, yeah, the Gamecocks haven't been able to touch the Aggies. I will also say Texas A&M is not a impenetrable force football team. They're not at the level of an Auburn or LSU or Alabama or Florida. Although I think the Florida game would be probably close because I think the Gators have really done a good job with coaching this year, and, and Mullen and his staff kind of coached their way to wins. Um, you know, but I still don't think that A and M is on the level of the Gators. Uh, certainly not Georgia. Um, they play Georgia later this year, so I, I, it's it, Texas A and M is a middle of the pack team now. Are they like Tennessee to where I would sit here and say South Carolina should win that game or like Missouri, South Carolina should win that game on the road? No, I think that, you know, it's a game A&M probably should win, but it's not a game that would be impossible for the Gamecocks to win. In other words, it would not be as big of an upset to win at Texas A&M as it would at Georgia. And if you look at the series, those games are close. I mean, three-point game last year, seven-point game the year before, um, you know, 11-point game in 2016 where it was a one-score game late. You know, seven-point game out there uh, in 2015 with an interim head coach. You know, the Gamecocks went out there. Um, so, I, I, you know, I, I honestly don't believe that, uh, you know, that's an impossible thing to do. Um, Texas A&M's off this week, by the way. So we will see. And then there's Clemson, and, you know, you just go take your shot. And I think Clemson's very good. I think they're, again, going to peak at the right time. Uh, I've heard from some Clemson folks that they're very motivated to have a good showing against the Gamecocks this year because, you know, they weren't too happy about giving up all those yards last year, which is weird because they still won the game, and you heard all the brouhaha about, oh, we won by 21, and, you know, now they're super motivated by it. But – that's Dabo Sweeney. You know, he's probably printed out the, the 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 rankings from this week where they're fifth, and they're getting in the playoff, folks, uh, as long as they don't lose a game. Um, you know, and, and that's going to motivate them. And NC State will probably get the brunt of that Saturday night in Raleigh. NC State's not a very good football team, though. So, you know, we'll see. I, you know, you look at the, the last three games, 25% of the season. You know, we still have a fourth of the season left to play. And you have to put yourself in a position to at least have a shot. You know, and, and that starts Saturday against App State. You know, Zach Thomas, their quarterback, uh, is a very good player. Uh, you know, they have a lot of skill talent. You know, they have a really good scheme. Their defense is better than people may give them credit for. Um, you know, although I do think South Carolina has a talent advantage when um, when you're talking about, you know, 
if the Gamecocks can move the ball. I think, you know, South Carolina's offensive line, they're going to outweigh the Mountaineers. You know, you're going to be able to get some things going in the run game, hopefully, if you're the Gamecocks. Ryan Holinsky needs to continue to be accurate like he was last week. Um, I keep saying, hopefully they have better play calling. I don't know. You know, kind of worried me that it was a good and bad thing when Will Muschamp mentioned to carry and Joyner because I do think they need to get him on the field, and I do think they need to give him more to do. I, I think when he's come in as a change-of-pace guy, it's been a disaster for the most part because I think everybody in the stadium knows what's coming. And I'm talking about the Missouri game and then last week against Vandy. So hopefully they give a little different looks for him this week. You know, there's a way that thing can work. And, you know, Dan Werner, who's the quarterback's coach, who obviously didn't call in the plays, um, he made it work at Ole Miss. I mean, they did they did a lot of stuff like that. But, you know, just like a lot of things with this offense, you know, sometimes things don't make a lot of sense. But, you know, hopefully it makes sense Saturday night uh, and they use it. So, you know, I would say, you know, better play calling and hopefully – you know, they know what to call and when, and it works. But, yeah, you know, it's it's erratic. There are some games where it looks great. There are some games where it had Now, this year, you know, since the second half of Florida last year, it hadn't looked great at all. You know, people can say what they want about that Bama game, which I thought was the best called game of the year. There's still only 23 points, and you lost by 24. You know, they're just they're not scoring they still have red zone issues which that should have been a i mean and it was i mean it's not like they didn't work on that all off season but it's just not you know just not clicking so and that's dangerous because when you play a team like app state you know their strength and how they're going to get to you is is with their ability to manufacture offense with Zach Thomas extending plays, with, you know, Darrington Evans, they're, they're very talented running back. You know, you've got Thomas Hennigan, their leading receiver, and then Malik Williams from Chester, who I mentioned earlier, is another receiver. They, they both really, they're both really good players. You know, they have a system that they've bought into, and they, they, rock, they rock it, you know. And so that's how they're going to beat you. They're going to come to town with their offense, which is dynamic with a lot of good players, and they're going to try to put points on the board. And then they're going to hope that your offense is so pedestrian that you can't outscore them. And the way you kind of counterbalance that, it's kind of like the old, you know, Spurrier versus Chad Morris's Clemson teams, doing when Chad Morris was the OC there, you run the ball and stay on the field. You know, you just keep the other team off the field and then you score points when you have the opportunity to. And usually, you know, the other team doesn't have enough time or their defense gets tired and you end up winning. Now, I'll also say this, uh, you know, App State's good on offense, 437.5 yards a game. There have been some games that hadn't lit up the scoreboard, though. They played Louisiana Lafayette, Billy Napier's team, and won 17-7. You know, so they're not – I don't know. And of course, they lost 24-21 to Georgia Southern last week. Triple option team, though, throw everything out the window. Uh, you know, so it, they're not like scoring – in the 60s, but they're capable. I mean, you know, I, I think that kind of if you look at the teams in the Carolinas, you know, Wake Forest, you know, taking Clemson out of the equation, of course, you know, Wake, uh, let's just go with North Carolina, okay. Wake Forest is probably the, you know, the most dynamically explosive offense, you know, that, that you can find. Wake, Wake's got to play that way, and they've done a really good job. So, you know, App State, uh, I think, still is a capable football team, still capable of coming to beat Carolina. I think, you know, what the game guys have to do also is, you know, you've got to win the line of scrimmage. Um, and that's where the difference is a lot of times when you're talking about SEC versus Sunbelt is you've got a major advantage of the line of scrimmage. I mean, you got uh, – you know, guys like Javon Kinlaw on the inside, Kobe Smith, Zach Pickens, Rick Sandage, you know, and, and I think, you know, J.J. Enigbare uh, on the defensive line, on the end, D.J. Wanham, you know, Ernest Jones I think is going to be huge for this football game. I think App State is a team that takes advantage of teams that do not have eye discipline. I think Ernest Jones has had eye discipline for the most of the year. I think that's one of the good things about him. So he needs to continue to do that. R.J. Roderick and the safeties. 
who have been victimized. You know, this is a team that can victimize you if you have poor safety play. Roderick, eBay, you know, Jamie Robinson, whoever else they rotate back there, they need to play good ball. Um, you know, or it's going to be a long night. You know, I think that uh, offensively, like I said, Ryan Helensky, it's, it's weird because offense, it's like a revolving door. You know, uh, Nick Muse, Josh Van, uh, Jalen Nichols, sideline. You know, so, but welcome back. Oh, and Tavian Feaster, too. Uh, welcome back, Rico Dowdle, Dylan Wanham. <laughs> so it's weird. I mean, you know, I think that without the tight ends, you know, now that you don't have Muse, I mean, you're basically down to Kyle Markway and Chandler Farrell. You're going to see a lot of three and four wide receiver sets. Uh, that means Xavier Leggett is going to get some opportunity. I think Jay Overich could get some opportunity out there. I'm excited about Leggett as far as his potential as a player. I don't know why he hadn't been more involved. Uh, quite frankly, I think, you know, I, and I'm not, I'm not giving up on Josh Van. You know, a lot of Josh Van takes a lot of crap. Um, Josh Van has improved as a football player year one to year two. He should get better, um, you know, after he rehabs this offseason. Um, uh, and, and I'm not beating up on him. You know, I, I think that, you know, if you kind of look at him and you don't have ridiculous expectations for your third receiver, he's done a pretty good job. Um, but Xavier Leggett is, is a upside-wise is better than Van. And, and he always has been. I mean, it, you know, Van – is a slot guy, small. Yeah, he's not small, but he's not huge. You know, Xavier's got a couple inches on him, and apparently is much faster. And called his first touchdown last week against Vanderbilt. Uh, one of those in-state kids. You know, people ask me all the time. Well, Brian Edwards is gone, and then Shai Smith's gone the year after that, most likely. Uh, and Shai's kind of up in the air for tomorrow too. I, I think he'll probably play. Um, you know, who's the next guy? You know, because South Carolina, if you look at it, you know, you're worried about replacing Troy Williamson in 04. And, oh, here comes Sidney Rice. And then, you know, who's going to replace Sidney? Well, yeah, here's Kenny McKinley. And then, you know, who's going to replace Kenny McKinley? Well, here comes Alshon Jeffrey. And then who's going to replace Alshon Jeffrey? Well, here comes uh, Bruce Ellington and Ace Sanders. (laughs) And then, uh, after that, Pharaoh Cooper. And uh, who's going to replace Pharaoh Cooper? Where's Debo Samuel and Brian Edwards, you know? So uh, a lot of this, you know, it kind of takes care of itself uh, and has for a decade and a half. I mean, you know, you could even go back to Troy Williamson when people were wondering who's going to replace Brian Scott and Jermell Kelly. So that usually happens. People ask me, who's the next one? Because there's no clear one. And, and I, I think Xavier Leggett. I think he's a guy that can – make some things happen and uh, be a number one. I do think, you know, if you're talking about next year, it'd be really good if Shai Smith came back, you know, and, and I, I, I would think he would, but he's draft eligible and you just never know. So we'll see what happens there. You know, I, I think that, uh, you know, you play more receivers. Brian Edwards obviously has some records to set. Uh, he caught 14 passes last week, which is great. He continues to play like a warrior. You know, the Gamecocks are going to have to get the ball in his hands um, and with the get and all that. So it's kind of, the you know, with Muse out now, I don't know that you're going to see as much double tight end type of stuff as you maybe did before. And it's a shame that Muse got hurt because I think the guy's got a lot of big upside. Uh, I think he's an NFL guy. The coaching staff felt that way. If you look at how he's flashed some this year, I think that's true. He's got to clean up some stuff, obviously. You know, and, and now obviously he's got to rehab and get better. So we'll see kind of what happens there. But you feel bad because I think the tight ends have played really well this year. Credit Bobby Bentley with those guys playing well. But you know he, you know he's lost all his players. <laughs> you know, so so who knows what'll happen there? Um, you know, I, I think that that's uh, that's just par for the course. You know, you're getting a lot of guys back like Dowdle and Wanham to gear up for the stretch run. And then, you you know, here goes, you know, Feaster's out. And you, you don't know. My guess is Feaster's not going to be back till Clemson because he's got a groin injury. Um, so you kind of look at it and, you, you know, well, Feaster's out now and then Van's out and then Mimuse is out. So you add two back and lose three. It's, the injury thing, and we talked about this, Tony and I, earlier this week, 
somebody somewhere, and I don't know whose responsibility it will be, probably Will Muschamp's or Ray Tanner's, they need a, a they need to dig in to why this is happening. And I don't know, you know, maybe go to some other schools that don't have a lot of injuries and look. Uh, are they are they providing the right you know things in terms of hydrotherapy and the latest you know student athlete wellness athlete stuff? You know I don't know I don't know enough about it. I talk very dumb when it comes to this type of stuff. You know med- sports medicine and things like that. But do they need to do they need to look into that? Do they need to look into the, the off season training program. Are they going? You know I know that they they love to go work hard. Are they working too hard? You know, and I'm not talking necessarily about physicality and practice. I mean, they're not going out there like Lou Holtz and having a full-blown bloody scrimmage on Tuesday and then going trying to play and, and, and beating guys up. They don't – they do about like Spurrier did during practice. Um, but is it not that? Is, is it not necessarily the – the physicality of it in terms of hitting and tackling is is it maybe is there maybe something they're doing where they're getting worn down and, and being more susceptible to injury tired bodies things like that or is it just simply the schedule you know is it just simply that you know in the SEC because a lot of SEC teams do have injuries um, is it just simply that in the SEC you're going to get beat up and you better go get depth because chances are you're going to be playing a whole lot of guys that are second on the depth chart uh, during the season. But it's been an abnormal thing uh, for Will Muschamp, from Florida to South Carolina. You know, this year you wouldn't expect all the injuries because of last year was ridiculous on the defensive side of the ball. But you've got it, you know, and and that's happened. Um, and it happened in twenty. You know, twenty seventeen was not easy either. Now these were like broken bones and things that you just say, "Well, how do you prevent it?" But you know, you lost Debo Samuel for most of the year. Eureka Dowdle was out for most of the year. Bryson Allen Williams missed most of the year. You know, so that that was in year two. Year one, you know, Sky Moore was out for the year, but. Uh, you know, that was something I think that happened before the current staff got there, you know, that he had like a an injury. So, you know, 2017, 2018, 2019, you've had a lot of injuries. And you go back to Florida, and they had a lot of injuries too. Even that last season, uh, it wasn't as bad as the season before, but they still lost some guys. And so you, you got to be healthy, and you, you got to figure out why. That that's the whole thing with me. Why? And, and maybe it's not. Maybe it's just luck. You know, I don't necessarily believe in luck, but maybe it's just luck. I, I, I don't know. So injuries are interesting. At least the Gamecocks are. You know, you're not shelving everybody. You know, you get Dylan Wanham back, you'll take it. Get Rico Dowdle back, you'll take it. It's just unfortunate that you had to lose the other guys. Um, and I'm looking forward to seeing how Rico runs. Uh, you know, Rico was having a really, really good year when he went out first play of the game against Florida, um, having a really heck of a year. You know, credit Tavian Feaster was stepping in um, for a couple of games and uh, having some of his best. I mean, I think he rushed for 255 combined against Tennessee and Florida, and well, 300 if you count Vandy. Uh, and credit to Sean Fenwick with stepping in and getting some carries. I mean, you, you need multiple running backs. You know, it's great to say, hey, we're just going to have two guys. We're going to play them all year and keep them healthy. But that, that sometimes doesn't happen. They, that, that position gets banged up. So good to see Deshaun Fenwick. They're good to see Kevin Harris back and scoring another touchdown. This guy has a knack for finding the end zone. Four touchdowns this year for Kevin Harris. Three came against Charleston Southern, you know, but uh, – Get another one against Vandy. Heck, short yardage. Kevin Harris is pretty good. So we'll see what happens there. So this game, getting back to it, you know, South Carolina needs this win. Will Muschamp needs this win, you know, to set set up a chance. Now, this isn't going to save the season, folks, but to set up a chance to get to a bowl. And there's a lot of theories out there. I, you know, I think they lose here. They lose to A and M, lose to Clemson, and finish four and eight. 
I think there's going to be a lot of serious discussion about how to move forward, you know, and I'm leaning toward they may move in another direction. Um, this is just based on what I've heard. Maybe not. Uh, I know there are those of you out there that think even if they go four and eight, that you just stick with must champ and keep on rolling. And, and that's fine. You know, you guys all know that I have explained over and over again, how I think, there's a lot of things that are working with Will Muschamp, how he's recruited well and against the odds at times, how he's rebuilt the roster. He's a smart guy. He's a good guy. His players love him. He's a, a man of high character. Um, you know, and the game day situation, really, in my opinion, you know, you're looking at uh, you know the last 11 games against Power 5 opponents as really bad on game day. I thought the first 27 he coached at South Carolina were pretty good because as much as everybody wants to say, oh, we're tired of beating Tennessee, well, you're tired of beating Tennessee now? You know, I think the Vols proved the other night that even if they have a bad team, there's times they can jump up and bite South Carolina and you'd rather not lose to them. You know, we're tired of beating Missouri. Are you tired of beating Missouri now? You know, um, that game at Ole Miss last year, South Carolina should have lost. Um, so there, there were games that I think, you know, the staff coached their butt off, um, that they won that maybe they shouldn't have won, even though these weren't great teams they were playing. And then there were games that they lost close, like Texas A&M and something like that, that, uh, you know, play here, play there, they're, they've won. And, and, you know, I thought up until, and again, I get back to this point up until the second half against Florida last year. I don't think there are any complaints. I think all the complaints are just people that are frustrated because they're, you know, not at Clemson's level in two years, which is ridiculous. But you can't deny that the last 11, things have gone backward. And college football is like that. It's like momentum. I mean, you know, you look at situations where, you know, sometimes coaching staff lose momentum. Gene Chiswick won a national championship and was fired two years later. You know, uh, they went eight and five the next year. Pretty good year. I think nine and four, maybe eight and five, nine and four, won the Peach Bowl. Then the next year, he lost his coordinators and hired some bad ones. And it was a disaster. They went winless in the SEC. And that's what I'm saying. The disastrous season, you don't survive. I mean, Butch Jones doing okay. You know, they, yeah, they blew a chance at the East in 2016. Comes back in 2017, disastrous year, 0-8, gone. Jim McElwain, two SEC titles with Will Muschamp's players. Um, third year, really weird season. Uh, <laughs> made up stories about death threats. The shark picture, I'm still convinced, played a factor in this decision, even though it wasn't him. You know, four and seven, gone. You know, you, you, you can't. You know, and I'm not all for at South Carolina during a build, and it is a five- or six-year rebuild, folks. Um, but that, that term is loaded because that doesn't mean that for all five or six of those seasons, you can just, you know, lose to North Carolina, snapping a really good winning streak against teams from that state that you got to recruit against. That you can go four and eight in year four with your best teams, that half your team can be hurt all the time. You know, and, and I'm not saying that that's Will Muschamp's fault with all the injuries, but, you know, heck, somebody somewhere's got to figure out how to keep these guys healthy. What's going on? You know, and injuries at some point are not an excuse because you should have enough depth to constant, comp, you know, compensate for it. You know? Um, that doesn't mean you can go in, in a game, a critical game, on the road against a division opponent and uh, put your freshman quarterback who hadn't practiced all week in position to just chunk it all over the yard and give the other team two touchdowns. You know, that, that doesn't mean that, that all this stuff that's happening, that everything's just going to be ridiculously bad, and then one day it's going to be good. <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry, you know, I, 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 you know, and like I said, there's a difference between the first 27 games against Power 5 competition that Will Muschamp coached to South Carolina, where he's 14 and 13, and the Gamecocks beat the teams they should and lost the games they shouldn't and generally kind of were, were pretty well coached 
in most of the games. You know, people gripe about last year's Kentucky game. That wasn't coaching. They had a good game plan. They had guys open down the field all night. That was a quarterback and receiver failure. <laughs> that wasn't coaching. You know, well, the defense gave it. Well, the defense shut Kentucky out in the second half. They made adjustments, and that word really hasn't been used a whole lot. So, I, you know, looking at it, man, it's just uh, – it's just a situation where, yes, five or six year rebuild, but when you're talking about rebuilding, keep in mind this is a program that was the probably the best team in the SEC East for three or four years. Now they only won one division, but you kind of look at the schedule and say, oh, 2011, 2012, and 2013, that got the Gamecocks. Because I think, they, if I'm not mistaken, they beat the division champion every one of those years. So. Yeah, rebuild to that. This is where everybody wants to go. You know, rebuild is getting back, you know, and it's going to be hard to get on Clemson's level, but get toward Clemson's level. And the win over Georgia was really, really big because people were just lumping the Bulldogs in with the Tigers. I've always said Georgia is still kind of flawed. But that's big, and, and that's progress. But that doesn't counterbalance the fact that, you know, if you sit here and you're 4-8 and eight in year four, then all you did was pull an amazing upset, and that's it. You don't – you know, you have a team that won a game. You know, you don't have a program heading in the right direction, especially if you get boat raced at A&M and boat raced against Clemson. So, so that's my fault. You know, the five- or six-year rebuild, don't listen to people that want to say – that you know, it's five or six years, and then you just live with all the you know you just got to live with wins and losses and all that. Don't also do not do not listen to the theory that says new coach takes over, he can inherit some good players, they win, and then they dip in year three and four because they're recruiting it and all that good. That's true. That is a true theory. You look around the country, multiple examples of year three and four being a dip. It's happened to South Carolina. Steve Spurrier's. Worst two teams with the game cuts for year three and four. But you know what? That doesn't apply here. And here's why. Because the, Will Muschamp didn't inherit a bunch of good players. If you look at his offense in 2016, it was a bunch of freshmen and some guys that had never played, like Debo. But Debo was an inherited player. Do I think that if they'd had Debo Samuel this year, they'd have won more than they did? I don't know. Maybe he makes a play against North Carolina, changes that game. But they lost by 20 to Missouri and Tennessee. So, I, you know, it's not like, you know, there were all these good players Spurrier left and then they, they didn't replace them, you know, because if you look at it, who did Spurrier leave? And he did leave individually. They're a handful of really good guys. I mean, Hayden Hurst now – they transitioned him to wide receiver, but they they replaced Hayden Hurst. Hayden Hurst caught 44 balls in 2017. The tight ends caught 40 last year, and Mark Williams had a good year this year. So that's not killing you, okay? Um, losing Zach Bailey is not killing you. It's hurting you from the pass protection standpoint right now because you are young, but the Gamecocks are actually a better run-blocking team than they've ever been. Under Muschamp with Jovan Gwynn and Jordan Rhodes in there. So that's not killing you right now. Uh, Rashad Fenton and Keyshawn Nixon are in the NFL. But those guys aren't killing you because the secondary as a whole is better than it was last year. Because those guys, you know, collectively were not that good in terms of, you know, a unit. Individually, yes. Collectively, no. Um you know the guy, the one. You know the two players that Spurrier left behind, and this is only two. These are two players out of a hundred that, that you probably could always use, or Sky Moore and, and Debo Samuel, just because they're playmakers. But the receiving core, you know, yeah, it'd be great if Sha Smith was your third guy, but you know that's a function of, of recruiting and injury. Yeah, that's not. You know, you should have a receiver teed up and ready to roll. You know, and I'm not sure they haven't. I mean, I, I think, you know, with, with the way the tight ends were played, you do a lot of double tights. You know, Shy and Brian get the majority of them. I mean, yeah, I, I don't know that they haven't. You know, so, so, so where are all these good players that Spurrier left 
behind that are now gone, and that's why you know that's why you're that's why you're four and eight. And again, this scenario is that they go four and eight or five and seven, because quite frankly, it's inexcusable. So, so, so you know, you've this is a linear build, and not all builds are linear. I promise you, not all rebuilds are linear. In fact, most are not. But this is a linear build. This is similar to Frank Martin in the basketball program. And everybody said that. Everybody said this is a year zero type of deal the first year. Everybody was in agreement. Not much talent, got to build it. So it's linear. It's not a deal like you know Brad Scott took over for Sparky Woods, inherited a lot of Sparky's good players, went out and won a bowl game. Everybody's like, hell, hell, Brad Scott. Well, then you get on down the road and Sparky's players are gone. Same with Lou Holtz. Lou Holtz inherited a lot of good players. It took them a year of getting their you know butt kicked. At 0 and 11 and scheme changes and stuff, but they went from 0 and 11 to 8 and 4 with a lot of players that played for Brad Scott. Then you got in year 4 and 5, well, eh, you know, lose first couple classes weren't all that good, blah, blah, blah. Same thing happened to Spurrier. You know, you got by with Sidney Rice, you know, McKinley was a true freshman, Blake Mitchell at quarterback that you inherited. Um, well, then you get to that year, you know, three and four, and uh, well, Blake's gone, and it's Chris Smelly and Tommy Beecher, and, you know, you're, you got McKinley and really nobody else and all, you know. So, hey, that's that. those situations are different than this one. This one is a linear build. This is a the, – the best players on this team this year are seniors that Will Muschamp recruited. So – you know, and I know the 2017 class has some disappointments, but it's still got guys like, uh, you know, Javon Kinlaw and Chai Smith and a lot of players that are kind of role players and special teams players. The 2018 class, this is their second year. Like in college football today, I think people get crazy and it's insane when freshmen don't come in and perform. But I think when you get to a player's second year, there's an expectation they're able to go out and be good. And I think individually they are. I think the problem is there's – I don't want to just say coaching, 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 but, you know, I think there's, you know, a lot of issues in the secondary. You know, I think a lot of that has to do with the complexity of the scheme. Um, I think on offense, a lot of it has to do with play calling. Um, and yes, there have been injuries, and yes, they're thin at certain positions. But you know, you look at that, and, and, and all that being said, if they'd gone six and six and gone to a bowl and pulled an upset along the way this year, who's complaining? Nobody. But the, you know, this is not South Carolina circa 1986, where you know, hey, a bowl every four years is pretty doggone good. No, it's not. This is a program that's had what. Four losing seasons since 2000, and one of those was a bowl year, Muschamp's first year, six and seven. You know, the worst they've been is a three and nine transition year where their coach quit, and that team was pretty doggone competitive. Lost by seven to A&M, three to Tennessee, five to Clemson. Kind of turned it around under Sean Elliott, who, by the way, gets to coach against App State next week for the division title in the Sun Belt. Um. You know, the other two losing seasons were Holtz's years three and four or five and seven, just wilted at the end. You know, so since 2000, this team's been, this program's been competitive. You know, this is not, you know, the the, the team or the program that was one and eight in bowl games, (laughs) you know, that never went to the postseason, that was just happy to get to a bowl. I mean, there's minimum standards. The the minimum standard is getting to a bowl, and I think that if they would have reached minimum standards this year, you understand, and you keep building. Recruiting's going pretty well. Yeah, you keep, you stick with it, you know. Uh, And and then I'll talk about the fact that Florida probably regretted firing Muschamp and bringing in Jim McElwain, And, and I agree. Although McElwain won two division titles, uh, I think Muschamp would have probably done a little bit better with those teams um, because they were his players. But, you know, that last Florida team he had, he didn't get fired for the four and eight the year before. That had a lot to do with it. In year three, you know, they understood. He, he got fired because that next year they did not meet the minimum standards for the program. 
you know, which I think is probably about eight wins. So they hold on against Carolina and they hold on against LSU that year, which they should have. Um, you know, they win eight. And it could have beaten Florida State that year too, to be honest. But that was 2014. But, you know, that that's just what happens. And, you know, I don't think anybody at South Carolina – would would be talking about a change uh, if the Gamecocks had you know, gotten to a bowl. And quite frankly, if they do get to a bowl this year, I don't think anybody should talk about change. It'll probably be a pretty good bowl because the SEC is going to have trouble filling their spots. The Gamecocks may finally get an invite to the Music City Bowl this year. Uh, if their favorite team on the on the planet, Kentucky, isn't available, the Music City Bowl loves Kentucky. So we'll kind of see what happens. But, you know, that's my take on it. You know, and and I don't – I think the best possible scenario is for the Gamecocks to win two of these next three because then you're six and six, yes. But you'll have snapped a streak against Kentucky, snapped a streak against either Texas A&M or Clemson, and beaten Georgia at their place. Um, You know, there will be some changes that I think need to be made at six and six, but you'll live with that. And you say, yeah, you know, let's go work hard and try to go get them, um, you know, next year when players are a little older and all that good stuff, you know. And I think that, uh, you know, but then again, I think I look at next year and, you know, there's a lot of guys you got to replace. So we'll find out if they can replace them. Quite frankly, if you want to talk about a dip in this situation, uh, it should probably come in 2020 when that first class that they hit on a lot of guys that they played a lot of football on and didn't get to redshirt a lot of them, a lot of those guys are outy, gone. You know, Wanham, gone. Kenlaw, gone. Edwards, gone. Bentley, probably gone. So, Dowdle, gone. You know, so so we'll see kind of what happens. Anyway, don't mean to get off on a tangent there. I just wanted to be make that clear because everybody's talking about it. You can't hide from it. I can't just go, oh, this is JC's Gamecock show, you know, Appalachian State, go Cox. You know, you gotta you gotta kinda talk about things. And that's 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 my stance on it when I drill down. And, you know, I know there's a lot of opinions. I respect them all. You know, you folks out there on the bigspur.com on the message boards, that's who I'm talking about. Um, you know, I, and you guys know me and you know me for years and I don't, I don't go and like make rational, emotional type, you know, calls on things. And, and I think that, you know, you look at the reality and there's been something askew the last 11 games against power five opponents. They're not playing, not playing a power five opponent this weekend, by the way. Um, so you're three and eight. Lose to Clemson and A and M. That's three and ten. That's ten out of thirteen. That's like a full season uh, of of terribleness against Power Five opponents, stretching back to last year. That's got to that's got to turn around. So anyway, uh, my prediction uh, for the football game is Gamecocks thirty one, App State twenty four. But I don't know. You know, like I wrote in the article. It, I can see App State coming in and boat racing the Gamecocks. I can see the Gamecocks boat racing App State. I can see a relatively low-scoring game because it's cold. I mean, you know, kids these days, you know, <laughs> kids these days, oh, kids these days. Nah, it's just, uh, you just don't know. This team, the South Carolina team, is unpredictable um, to me. I mean, they're just uh, they're just kind of unpredictable this year. Whereas the first three years under Muschamp, I think they were pretty much predictable until that Florida game. And then you're like, how does the team that put up 600 yards on Clemson get shut out by Virginia, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So anyway, this is JC Sherbert. This has been the final word. I appreciate all of you listening to the inside the game Cox podcast, subscribing to the big spur.com. I want to tell you for your catering needs, check out Nana's Porch CLT.com in the Charlotte area. It's mm-mm good tailgating, catering, all that good stuff. They'll hook you up with a package. Um, just hit them up on the website. Flowers Furniture in Darlington, open 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. Monday through Friday. Uh, lots of good specials, uh, free local delivery. If you're over in Darlington, that area, please check out Flowers Furniture, proud Gamecock-owned business. If you're in Atlanta and you are not going to sit in the cold weather, 
Saturday night at Williams-Price. Head out to Dive Bar in Buckhead for the Atlanta Gamecocks watch party. Lots of good times. Not, I'm not going to be there. I've, um, I spend uh, a lot of weekends in Chicago these days, so I'm going to be freezing this weekend as well. But uh, go out. Gamecock owned and operated bar. Lots of good times. Lots of fun memories uh, at Dive Bar in Buckhead. If you're in Atlanta, uh, go check them out. Also, thebigspur.com, now VIP members. If you're not a VIP member of thebigspur.com, you can join today. I think we have a, a special going on uh, pretty soon. Uh, and then all of you VIP members that are, yeah, you get, uh, as part of your membership now, CBS All Access. That's, um, you know, CBS's streaming service. You know, those are very popular these days. I know. Disney Plus is released here pretty soon, and you got uh, a lot of streaming services being launched. CBS is, is that one. You get NFL football, uh, NCAA basketball. Of course, CBS does a lot with that. And lots of shows. I found that a lot of wives, um, you know, married dudes that are on the site, their wives like the CBS shows. So if you want to join the site, you can say, hey, honey, you get CBS for free, and we don't have to pay for it. And um, that's a hundred dollar value per year for your hundred dollar membership a year for the Big Spur, and it's twenty four seven sports. It's a lot of fun. Um, certainly beats being on Twitter these days, where it's like Toontown from Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Uh, Big Spur message board is like reality, and then you go to Toontown when you go on Twitter. So if you're relying on Twitter. Uh, to give you your worldview or Facebook, where amazingly people use their real names to post the most ignorant takes in the history of college football. <laughs> Maybe give the Big Spur a try. You know, I never thought that we'd be at the point in, in, in all this to where message boards would be the place where, you know, people are a little more refined and, and intelligent. <laughs> I never thought we'd be there, but we're there. And thank you, Twitter for and Facebook, for doing this. So that's uh, exactly what happened there. So anyway, I'll invite you, out, I'll invite you all out to do that. Uh, great talking to you. Great talk. Good stuff. Um, once again, my prediction, South Carolina 31, App State 24, 7 p.m. ESPN2, Williams-Brice Stadium. Big game, folks. Hope you enjoy it. Hope you bundle up and all that. And Tony and I will be back next week, and I'll be back next Friday to preview and predict the game with the Aggies. This is J.C. Sherbert. This has been the final word presented by the Inside the Gamecocks podcast.